Hi everyone, this is Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round with Heaven and Tracy. Happy noise. I don't know if I should make a happy you know, noise. You know, this week has been a lot. I know, I know. Um, so. So. I still can't believe that it happened, but Prince has passed away. Um, we'll be talking more in-depthly about Prince and his legacy on next week's episode. And we'll also have some thoughts on Beyonce's Lemonade. Um, yeah, in like two days, the whole world changed. We have we'll felt every single week. emotion. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but we would have been remiss to yeah. not acknowledge either of these two phenomenal things happening. Mm. So, um, rest in peace to Prince. This is wild and it's crazy. And to everybody listening, if you're still sad and upset, which you probably are, know that it is okay to push pause on your grief and treat yourself to an hour of joy. So hopefully you'll be able to settle in with us and have some fun. So who do we have on the show today, Trace? Today we have everybody's favorite, yours, mine, and your mama's, Mm -hmm. Stacey Marie Ishmael for Stacey's Career Corner. Yes. She'll be teaching us things as usual. Mm -hmm. And then we have an interview with the one, the only, David Diggs of Hamilton fame. Ooh. Um, I'm going to go get cute first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So David is a rapper and actor. You probably know him best from his two roles in Hamilton. He said, give me two roles because one is not enough. (laughs) He plays um, both Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson. And you know how we feel about Hamilton. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, And we're going to talk to him about his rap group Clipping, which if you've never heard of them before... We're going to fix that for you, and you're welcome in advance. To quote David as Jefferson, if you don't know, now you know, Mr. President. <laughs> you're welcome, everyone. Oh, also, mm-hmm. this was recorded in a preliminary world. So oh, yeah, that is important. If during any discussion of Beyonce, you're like, how dare they not mention Lemonade? It's because <laughs> we didn't know what Lemonade was then. We lived in a pre-Lemonade world, and we have improved our lives now. I refer to them as the Dark Ages. Okay, I'll allow it. It's just the me thing that I like to do. All right, everybody. Next, we are pleased to announce the return of your favorite segment and mine, mm-hmm. Stacy's Career Corner. Hey. Yay! If you have, for some reason, forgotten who she is, it's her <laughs> life together. <laughs> Stacy Marie Ishmael is the head of BuzzFeed News apps. That's Android and iTunes. iOS. <laughs> uh, I know stuff. <laughs> Let's go with, like, just the head of BuzzFeed Mobile News. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we've gotten a few variations of the same question, which is basically, what do you do if you make a mistake at work? One listener wrote, in the past couple of weeks, I've made some big mistakes at my work, and I'm not really sure how to handle it. I worked hard to correct my errors, and I obviously understand that the best thing to do is never make the same mistake twice, but I'm still not sure how to handle being wrong and making mistakes in the workplace, especially when it keeps happening. Mm-hmm. What's the right way to make mistakes at work? School always seemed like an environment built for learning through mistakes, and I'm just not clear on how that process works in a professional setting. This question gives me anxiety. <laughs> I know. That's it so does. real. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so the other week, I took like five minutes off and rewatched The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Mm. First of all, you took five minutes <laughs> off. <laughs> what a Stacey know? sentence. <laughs> Only Stacey Marie can an watch an entire movie in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Call it a vacation. <laughs> so much time. Aww. One of the interesting lessons of the Devil, Wears, the Devil Wears Prada is sometimes you make mistakes at work because you think the job is beneath you. And Ooh. there was this whole interesting intervention in The Devil Wears Prada when, you know, the woman play I was going to say the woman played by Anne Hathaway playing herself, but Anne Hathaway's character <laughs> essentially said something like, I'm trying so hard and I'm not succeeding and I keep making mistakes. And then, like, the wise guiding mentor gay man says, <laughs> are you really trying? Are you? And she was like, no. Because <laughs> that's how life works. Are you genuinely out of your league? In which case, are the mistakes the kind of thing that you make when you don't know better? Mm. Are you being careless? Are you not being? Like, are you not paying attention? There are a couple of suggestions that I have. One is figure out what are the conditions under with under which you can be most successful. So I had a friend who's now a, a developer who thought for a while that she wanted to be a journalist. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> she didn't have the temperament. She took sloppy notes. You know, mm. she found it very hard to pick up the phone and talk to anyone. Mm. I was like, well, these are some fundamental things that you would have to do if Word. you're a journalist. But she finds it very easy to, you know, solve problems by sitting at her laptop for like an extended period of time in a zone and focus. And she very rarely makes the kinds of mistakes that she was making in a different context. It's sometimes that you are in a situation that is not enabling you to be better. 
And that's certainly one of them. The other is, are these real or perceived? Right? Are you beating yourself up over things that nobody else has even noticed? Or mm. is this like legit something that has gone wrong and there's been an accountability process? And like, what are you doing after? Mm. And one of the things I have learned is the only way to not make the same mistake again is to figure out why you made it. You could be making the same mistake that manifests in different ways, right? Mm. So your mistake could be that you don't listen. <laughs> your mistake could be that you don't pay attention to kind of the key details. Your mistake could be... You know, the mistakes themselves might look different, but there is something that you are doing that is consistent across those things. Mm. And then on the point about school, you know, nobody is handing out gold stars. Nobody's handing out A pluses. Nobody's going to pat you on the back. Good job, job well done. They're like, here's your paycheck. (laughs) You have have not been fired today. It's so depressing. Carry on. I mean, you know, corporate life is rough. Mm. And so this obsession with hoping that someone will tell you what you are doing wrong. Often that conversation only comes when they are sick of when they're about to fire you, Mm, right? right? Like you can't rely on somebody else being the one to say, these are the things that you can be doing better. And that can be stressful because in a school environment, you know, you've got your teacher, you've got the grade on this thing, you have very tangible issues that you can turn to and look at and say, okay, like this is how I could have done that better. And it's tricky in the workplace, but like the keys here are really be honest about why you might be making these mistakes. Like Mm. if you are over your head, if you fundamentally just dislike what you're doing and you feel that it's beneath you, if you need additional training or like you're just not paying attention, those are different things. Mm. Two other versions of this question that we've gotten. One, what's the best way to bounce back from a bad job review or like a performance review Mm -hmm. of any sort? And sort of like a question about confidence, which is like, once you do make these mistakes, that does shake your confidence. Totally. Like, how do you navigate a workspace once you've been? Give yourself in that something way? really easy that you can succeed at. Like, whenever you've had a really bad stretch and you feel like you can't even put your clothes on properly, mm-hmm. you know, I find it like in life, but also in the workplace, is just like know that there is something that you can do well almost effortlessly mm-hmm. and do that. Oh my god! <laughs> because sometimes you just need to like dig yourself out Word. of this hole by getting mm-hmm. something right. And in terms of bouncing back from mistakes, again, it sort of depends on the nature of the review, you know, are you, is it like, is it fair, right? If this is really something that you have done and you have screwed up, then it's about what is your personal improvement plan? If it's a situation of you think you're being unfairly criticized, that's a much harder thing that I feel like we've talked about. Mm. But taking accountability is extremely important, saying, I know I screwed up. This is what I'm going to do to correct it. And this is what's going to happen the next time to make sure it doesn't happen again. When I had this problem, I was living in Louisville and I was working as a receptionist at an architecture firm. And this is also like the height of like my unchecked anxiety Mm -hmm. and ADD. And um, once I was diagnosed, I went to my boss. I was like, listen, because I was fucking up a lot at work, like a lot, just like not reading stuff correctly, forgetting Mm -hmm. things, like Mm -hmm. very, very teeny tiny things. Went to my boss, was very open and honest with him. I was like, listen. This is what I'm working with. I'm working on, like, fixing it or whatever. Just be patient with me. He wasn't, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) Um, But, like, once I got my anxiety shit together, I was still fucking up. And I was like, oh, I just hate the job. (laughs) (laughs) So, could be ADD. Maybe you just hate your job, job, you know. That's real. Yeah. Yeah. When I've experienced this, um, I'm thinking of one specific internship. Uh. As an intern, especially, your job is to learn. Mm-hmm. So fucking up is allowed. It's expected. It's always like good how- manager. Yes. Mm. <laughs> it's always how people respond that matters. Yep. So a part of me felt like it was at first my like n- like a knee jerk response was like, they're not they don't even know what they're doing with the interns. Like, how dare you try to tell me <laughs> I fucked something up? Y'all ain't doing shit. <laughs> so obviously I was like, you know what, Heaven, let me look a little deeper. <laughs> Maybe there's something I also did. I yeah, especially as an intern, I used to make all these like little games with myself to be like, Well, they're not gonna be able to tell me shit if I do this, this, and this yeah. within this time frame. <laughs> so I used to just make all these like little games with myself about like, well, okay, I I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also helpful to just physically write it out. I, like I yeah. totally this happened. Yeah. This could have been prevented this way. In the mm-hmm. future, I'll look out for this. Because we, we, our memories are completely made up, right? It's like unless you have documented the thing and you then you go back and you're like, oh, oh my God, yes. last Tuesday when I made that mistake, I was really hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Crucial context. <laughs> you know? yeah. Sometimes it's hard to tell what the patterns are until they are staring at you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of writing things down in relation to job problems. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
you will not want. in a format so that you could accidentally send to the entire oh, no, 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 right, no, right, right, right. keep that away from everyone <laughs> i feel like i've learned shit no. <laughs> honestly i know i've made Write things mistakes. down be self-aware mm-hmm. and ask yourself whether you actually hate your job word right. oh stacy thank you as always for your wisdom always a pleasure uh, i'm ready to go out in the world and be great as always you can find stacy marie at S underscore M underscore I. She's about that underscore life. Team underscore. <laughs> and you can follow her her work work at the BuzzFeed News apps on iOS and Android. There you go. Thank you. So next week we're gonna have friend of the show Nicole Perkins on. Yay. She tweets as TN Whiskey Woman on Twitter, which you may follow her. And if you follow her, you know that she um, enjoys discussing men and women and relationships and the carnal pleasures okay. of life, <laughs> if you will. I guess. Um, so we're going to try to get her to do like a, we don't have a name for it yet, like a Nicole's uh Love. Sex corner. <laughs> Nicole sex corner. That's what we're going to call it. But no, she has, she gives really, really good advice, I think. But she also gives really bad advice if she's drunk. Okay, so, okay, noted. Um, so if you all have questions that you need good or bad advice on. <laughs> yes, love, sex, relationships, whatever. You can tweet them to us at another round or you can email them to us at another round at BuzzFeed.com. Let her fix or ruin your life. All right. Um, and if you would like to remain anonymous, that's fine. That's cool. We're not trying to out you in front of your whole, your whole church and community and your family and <laughs> the stuff. The entire church listens to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we, we have no problem keeping you anonymous. Just let us know. We, per usual, are very, very excited about our interviews. But today we are especially excited because we have the one and only David Diggs on the show. If for some reason you don't know who this man is, listen, I don't know what to tell you. It's probably too late for you. You should probably just retire. Just like move <laughs> From <into> life. <laughs> yeah. Just go sit down somewhere for the rest of your life. But if you don't know who he so is. I don't co-sign that. <laughs> he's much kinder than I. Actor and rapper from Oakland. He plays both Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette in the hit stage play Hamilton, which is the play that your friends cannot stop quoting, myself included. Mm-hmm. And like I'm looking at the curls right now, y'all, and it's just, we're going to have to have an entire conversation yeah, about your regimen yes it's gonna be, so are popping. <laughs> it's gonna be a brief conversation <laughs> welcome to the show mr david dick thank you so much I'm yeah really we're here. so excited to have you how are you i'm i'm great we just like did a bunch of rap songs in the cafeteria yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to buzzfeed that's real cool yeah and you can see the video on buzzfeed's facebook page we'll post a link and it'll be in the newsletter so david when did you fall in love with performing so when I was very young, maybe in like fourth grade, I had a teacher who, uh, Miss Engerman, shout out to Miss Engerman, I don't know if she's still teaching, but um, at Marina Elementary School, and she used to have us memorize poems every week, uh, just a really great thing to have kids do. Um, everybody in the class was reading the same poem, I got so bored. So <laughs> I, I decided one day that I would just act it out, I was going to act out this poem. Um, I had these little ideas, I remember sitting at my desk and had sort of an idea of what I wanted to do. And I don't remember what the poem was, but I, I got up and did it and people laughed. And mm-hmm. they laughed when I wanted them to laugh. And I was a very, very shy kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still a pretty shy kid, but I, uh, it gave me like a reason to be in a room. You know, that was the thing about performing for me is I really like people. I like being around people, but I don't always, I'm, I'm pretty introverted. So it's it, those things are in conflict. Um, so performing gives me a reason to be there. It gives me things to say. It gives me something to do. I know what to do with my hands. Like, I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling of being powerful and of being, uh, being able to get people to do a thing because it was what I wanted them to do. That was the thing about laughter. You know, I didn't know. It was like, oh, I wanted them to laugh and they laughed. Cause and effect. Like, that was real cool. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was kind of doing school plays a lot after that, mostly for that reason. It gave me a reason to be in front of a lot of people, mm. which was a thing. I, you know, we were we were there, and then afterwards they could talk to me about this thing that happened, not, you know, ask me questions about my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that the first performance you ever did, like for people who weren't like your mom and siblings? 
This is the first one I remember, although there are photographs of uh, me in preschool. I So there was like a show and tell day or something. Or no, I'm, I'm sort of remembering this story because it's a story my father tells a lot. But apparently there was a, a class play or something and I did not want to do it. So <laughs> they said I could do something else if I wanted to. Oh, man. And me and my dad used to do gymnastics. I'm doing air quotes here. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, which was, you know, we used to do this thing, like I could stand on his shoulders and he could just walk down the street, you know, mm. just like a ra- and we used Aww. to do this. He would lift me up with his feet and stuff. So I made him dress up in these like rainbow tights. And come to my-, <laughs> my dad was not about being on stage. It was like not his thing, but I was so excited about it. And he would, you know, both my parents would do anything for me, clearly. Aww. So they, you know, I made him come. We had these matching rainbow tights and we did this gymnastics routine that I had come Aww, up with snaps. in front of all this the parents. This is the cutest thing I've ever heard of. My life. It was pretty great. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your parents. I know you are both black and Jewish, mm-hmm. white Jewish, because yes, they are brown Jews. They are. <laughs> so yeah, that's not, not a mutually category. <laughs> but I feel like other than Drake, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that many of them. There's lots of us. There are a lot yeah. of uh, Ethiopian Jews. Mm-hmm. So I, I've learned later in life that that's a huge thing. But that, was that a big part of your identity growing up, or did that, did that just feel like normal? If, uh, I'm from the Bay Area, the thing is, so like even in the 80s, everybody was mixed, you mm. know, and we sort of, and my mom also did things to sort of take care of fixing the culture at large for me. So I don't I don't think it was really till I went to college that I sort of experienced how, that it might even be an, an odd thing, you know. My mom used to color in my coloring books. Mm-hmm. It was my white Jewish mom, but like, you know, they were, or not coloring books, uh, picture books. So, you know, she would buy these picture books with cool stories, but there were no black kids in them. So she would take crayons and color them in before she gave them to me. Shout out to mom. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, So I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that the rest of the world thought, felt any, any differently. Um, It didn't seem weird to me. I had other black Jewish friends growing up. As you get older, particularly when you're in high school and stuff, um, Jews really click up. You know, like everybody's. He said it, not me. <laughs> it happens. It happens, and they love to like freestyle at parties, and they love, you know. And that started to feel a little weird for me. I don't know. I didn't get bar mitzvah. I went to Hebrew school like up until the point right before, and then started mm. going to a bunch of bar mitzvahs, and was like, oh. I don't have any rich family. I don't really know why I'm doing mm. this. Like, mm. what's the point here? And my mom had stopped caring long ago. You know, she wasn't driving me there no more. So uh, <laughs> she didn't care what I did in that respect. So I wasn't getting any pressure to stay in there. And mm. I felt like I had gotten, I felt Jewish. I knew when the holidays were. I've <laughs> mostly forgotten now. But, you know, I light a, I, when I see someone else light a candle, I light a candle. I learned the the prayers sort of by rote i i could not like tell you what mm. the words mean but i know how they sound so mm-hmm. <laughs> like i could mumble along so you got the basics you know what i'm saying i had the basics yeah. so I, I religiously i still identify as jewish if i'm going to identify as a thing but kind of the great thing about judaism is there's this wide spectrum of how you practice judaism it's probably true of every religion i just happen to know about judaism mm-hmm. but and particularly where i'm from like there's a thing you can be Jewish and not remember when Rosh Hashanah is. It's fine. Right. Like we're right. all good with that. You know, hell isn't really a thing. You're fine. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> Just that do you great. try to be a good person? Right. You know, I'm right. really good to this. Hey, <laughs> you're welcome, Jews. <laughs> Two converts at my table right now. I so, get would you say it was maybe like high school or college where you really felt like a more feeling like you are not? the same as like your your community or maybe even just like when did you feel you were not white Mm. I've never felt white I've always like you know when you're forced to check a box I guess Mm. I've always checked black or african-american you Mm. know you get that very early I was followed in stores early on like you know very young like all that stuff all the stuff that you get from from being a black kid like I got all that Uh um even in the bay area but so I used to be very careful to identify as mixed and now I'm, I, I guess I'm less careful hmm. to do that. Um, Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I'm just like thinking about this now <laughs> as you say it. I don't really know. Because sometimes it requires a conversation maybe that I don't mm. want to have, I guess. I don't know. I, because, and because I can pass for black. Like, that's the cooler one. And like, I, you know what I'm saying? So I, <laughs> You're not wrong. And I, You're not wrong. So like, I walk into a room and people are like, yeah, that black you guy. You get the head nod. I get the thing. Of, uh-huh. What's up, man? What's up? <laughs> I know you went to Brown. I did. What was Brown like? Crazy, man. 
it was interesting. So I went on a visit. I remember the track team brought me out to visit and like mm. show me the facilities and I spent like a couple of nights there. There was this crazy thing that happened when I was there for my recruiting trip, which was that every single black person I walked by said, what's up to me? Yo. Either with a fancy <laughs> handshake or <laughs> Very just with a head nod. You know, it's, it's, yes, uh, a little nod. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, nod is real. But there was this acknowledgement and it weirded me out really at first. I was like, I don't, this is, I don't know you. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And where I'm from, you don't just, you don't, you don't make unnecessary eye contact with a motherfucker mm -hmm. you don't know. So, <laughs> so that was the first time you experienced the head nod. I had experienced the head nod from people who, if we had at least like spent right, right, time right. in the yeah, grocery yeah. store together uh -huh. or something, but, <laughs> like these would no, I've never Strangers. been here before. Uh -huh. Like I don't know you at all. Right. Oh, and I was like, this is a, this is like a black thing. This is what we do. <laughs> like just every black person you have to acknowledge. What if I don't like you? Like, you know, what if I don't really fuck with you like situations. that? So also you're in Providence, Rhode Island. Right? I, know. Yeah, I didn't know anything good. about any of this. So when I finally got there for real and I had, mm. I had been indoctrinated after a couple of years, <laughs> I found myself doing it. And I was like, oh fuck, you're an endangered species. That's why yeah. you do it. Like if you see another unicorn, you're going to be like, what's up unicorn? Right, right, like, look right. at us. We're both unicorns. We so, out here. We out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the other crazy thing about about that dynamic at, at Brown for me was like, so when I went there, only a quarter, this was before they had gone totally need blind. And so mm. the statistic I found out at some point that only a quarter of the student body there at all were on any sort of financial aid. And that school was dumb expensive, right? Yeah. So like, and I went there and this is, I, I try to say this all the time whenever I get the chance, it was cheaper for me to go there than it was for me to go to a state school. I ended up coming out of college with fewer loans um, and actually, and my parents paid less money. Mm. That is the dirty secret that they don't tell poor kids about Ivy League schools with big endowments is if they want you to go there, they can make it possible for you to go there. So mm. absolutely, apply to your Ivy League schools. Yes. I tell people all this, this all the time too. Right. I had the exact same experience. Yeah, yeah. All that said, there were plenty of black people there with money, but everyone, all the black people wanted to pretend like they didn't have money. And <laughs> yes. that, I didn't get that, that was at all, too. you know? Like yeah. it was like, it was a, I, I, it was a very weird thing to me mm. because I actually didn't have money. And yeah. so like, and I didn't know like, why, why are you, you doing this? Why aren't you buying this sandwich? I know why I'm not buying this sandwich, but you could totally fucking buy this sandwich, bro. It looks like a good ass sandwich. Like, <laughs> Man, that's so real. Yeah, but that's, you know, the race politics in college are so crazy because uh. all of the politics in college are crazy, uh. right? You're like trying to figure out who the fuck you are, mm. and then you also have to like deal with other people doing the same thing. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to thrust an 18 year old into. <laughs> Did the acting and rapping come? Like, did you start doing that more during college? I was doing both of those things a lot before. Mm. Um, my trajectory to me has always been, it's interesting because Hamilton came along and nobody in the grand scheme of things knew who I was. I wasn't getting invited here before Hamilton. Oh. To me, I've been doing the same thing. And I know Lynn mm. through rapper stuff. I don't know him through Broadway stuff. Like we have this group oh, Freestyle Love Supreme together. So that's why him and Tommy ended up asking me to be in this. Tommy's the director. Tommy's the director, Tommy Kale. They were the ones who, that's why they asked me to be in this, because we had this other group together. Um, and so for me, all of, everything seems very connected. Mm. But like people approaching me through Hamilton then find clipping this like sort of out there experimental rap group that I have that's like really abrasive and, and uh, don't often know what to make of it. You mm. know, that those, how did, how did those things get in the same world? But I've been doing both of these things forever. Mm. Mm. How did you and Lynn meet? Another founding member of Freestyle Love Supreme who knew Lynn and that whole squad from Wesleyan uh, <laughs> named Anthony Veneziali. Me and him were both due to a clerical error called to substitute teach the same class in Marin County in California. This is oh I was God. I was substitute teaching at this at the time. Serendipity. I know. So we're called to substitute teach the same class. We're I think we did some like rapping with the kids or something. He was a freestyler too, and I was like, oh wow. I ended up giving him a ride home, and we're talking, and he's like, man, we are the same person. Like this is crazy. Oh you should. Uh, <laughs> I have this group. Freestyle Love Supreme, you should be a part of it. I'm starting a West Coast version called The Freeze. So anyway, it was really through him um, that I started working with those guys, and they would fly me out uh, when they couldn't fill up a Freestyle Love show in New York. They mostly performed in New York or on the East Coast. And if they couldn't get enough people because everybody was busy being on Broadway and winning Tonys and crap, <laughs> uh, this was like around In the Heights time, they would they would call me and, and bring me out. Uh, and so I think the first time I met Lynn was actually on stage. I think he came late. Like, I didn't see him for any of the warm-up, and he just ran on stage and started <laughs> rapping. And I was like, nice to meet you. You're really good at this. <laughs> 
how would you describe your music? I was reading about it, and uh-huh. one of the ways people have described it, which is a new genre to me, is noise hop. What's or, that? Well, so that this is clipping that we're talking about specifically, which is actually different. I have a few few different music projects <laughs> out in the world, clipping being one of them, and the one that that for sure has the most traction. I mm. think and we're signed to Sub Pop Records, and we got more music coming out soon, and uh, it's gonna be real good. Clipping for us. Um, from our perspective, is just the way we are capable of making rap music. This noise hop idea came along, had had been a thing that was brewing mm. for a while to encapsulate groups like Death Grips. This article that I was reading in Noisy, it kind of suggested Yeezus was like Noise Hop's crossover moment. Right, do right, you, right. Do you feel like that's accurate? I guess so. I don't know if that's what Kanye was trying to do or mm. not. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if he was trying to be the flag bearer for that <laughs> yeah, movement yeah. or not. Maybe he was, but certainly like a lot of the things that are that are characteristic of noise hop songs are in there and that there's you know plenty of distortion there's like sounds that are <clears throat> not necessarily what you would normally think of as drum sounds or the drums are like highly distorted yeah. Yeezy season approaching fuck whatever y'all been hearing fuck what fuck whatever y'all been wearing a monster about to come alive clipping is like we didn't know about any of that stuff mm. when we started making these mus- this music Bill, who's one of the members, and William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes are the two other members of Clipping, and they are both, you know, Jonathan is a pretty accomplished film score guy. Uh, they're both sound designers. Um, that and makes they, a lot of sense. Right. And they both have done, have had noise projects, like straight noise, not um, not noise hop. Holler out your city if you ride for it. Let them know why you die for it. Same reason all these riders get high, so it's all medicinal. Now what you want, buy, homie? Buy, bitch, buy, bitch. Mob shit, mob shit. Boss talk, so those are the techniques that we're using. And the, the basic rules of clipping that we occasionally break are no drum sounds. We don't use any any pre-made drum sounds. So if there's a thing that sounds like a drum, it's either a some, it's either a, a thing that we went and found a field recording, like we went and, you know, that song Work Work has us smashing cinder blocks on the ground and recording that um, and playing them backwards. And the other rule is that there's no first person narrative, so I don't ever rap in the first person. That must be really hard as a rapper. <laughs> you, so I thought it would be, and mm. it was maybe at first, and that's because so much of what we think of as rap music does that. You know, it's all about ownership over the fact or fiction that you're telling right and it doesn't matter and it's about the performance of that right we can we're totally fine seeing rick ross be a prison guard and like have his raps talk about being a drug cartel yeah. like i think those of us who actually listen to it understand that there is an element of fantasy that, that and that's fine but it is still in the first person and the character of rick ross who is this totally larger than life character raps in the first person but the interesting thing about not doing that is that it opens up a whole lot of other storytelling options mm. that I didn't really think about were being there before. And the coolest thing for me that it allows me to do is really do things that feel very cinematic to me. Ooh, like you know, what? like uh, like there's a song Inside Out. The middle verse of that uh, goes. Donald Duck, Sunny D, Tampico, Capri Sun, Orange Couch, Plastic Rap, What's Happening, Rerun. Oak Frame, Hologram, Jesus Portrait. Brown Shack, Carpet, Broken Screen, Door to the Back Porch. Pipes in the Toilet, Gurgle every six minutes like clockwork. Grandfather's clock not working, Great Grandmama's crock pot, chock full of stew meat. Who me? Set a speech bubble on a dog on a Sunday morning. Comic clipped and stuck up to the fridge with big chip bag magnet, big chip stacked in the armoire. Behind glass where the dominoes and the bicycle cards are. And the thick yellow and crystal tumblers, one sits on the table with a single ice cube melting into a thimble full of Jack Daniels. The telephone receiver hangs, swinging by the cord. And the front door is swinging wide open accordingly and the big block engine turning over in the caprice that's pulling out of the driveway letting the tires screech. And this is a ow, song. Ow, excuse me. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, but the, the, this is a song that's essentially about a murder, but I got to freeze frame this one person after somebody had gone running out of the house after getting a phone call, right? Mm. So we just get to see this telephone receiver swinging. We get to see the, uh, the unfinished Jack Daniels with the single ice cube and we get to see all these markers of this is really the, the, 
in actuality, what I'm describing is my grandmother's house that the Jesus portrait and the, but mm-hmm. like, that's not important to clipping. There's no person there. So, mm-hmm. but that, those are the visual cues that I was using. So the dominoes in the armoire, like all of these things, we get to really see this scene. And that to me feels like so cinematic and cool. And it's in a rap song and mm-hmm. rap is totally capable of handling that. And I'm not the first person to do that, but that's what eliminating the first person forces you to do. Mm-hmm. Find ways to, to really expand moments. Everybody inside. It's a war coming. Let your bread get high. I gotta pour some. Out for the homies. Turn that beat up. Get loaded. It's a murder on the outside. Everybody inside. Murder on the outside. So you have this web series called Hobbs and Me with your friend Raphael Casal. Hey. That was a, a live action version of the Calvin and Hobbes strip. The Calvin comic strip. Is so good. Uh, so for maybe for people who don't know, Hobbes is based off Thomas Hobbes, the 17th century philosopher. Right. <laughs> Were you influenced by him philosophically? I feel like your lyrics are pretty nihilistic. That's interesting. I don't... F- that's cra- yeah. What a great thing to say. I don't think of them as nihilistic. I'm a pretty hopeful person, but you're right. Um, I totally you see identify that. as a hopeful person. I do. I'm an optimist, uh, but I guess my songs are not always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so many of those songs are about the present. You know, I don't really mm. talk about my aspirations for the future that much. But in any case, I guess I think I'm more influenced by Hobbes the Tiger than Hobbes the Philosopher. But that's the same thing, really, right? So. But yeah, I God, I never thought of that. You're blowing my mind right now. I gotta write some happier <laughs> shit. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily just not happy, just it has a vision of the world that have you read Tanahasi Coates's Between I, the World I and still Me? haven't. I've been reading it in snippets backstage sometimes because Renee has been reading it backstage mm. when we're off stage together. I make her read out loud. Renee the me. God, Renee the Queen plays Angelica in Hamilton and also your fave in The Good Wife. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So I make her read out loud to me sometimes, but I have it sitting there, but I haven't gotten to it. Right. So I would describe that as nihilistic, but mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. in any way like just mean and negative. Word. Well, yeah. If you want to associate with me with coats, that's fine. Do that anytime. <laughs> really totally fine with that. But yeah, I think, well, also there's a thing that I think rap music does really well, which is a thing that's kind of a, it's kind of a black thing. It's kind of a disenfranchised people thing. It's about like partying through the pain and like the the blues are about that too. And um, there's a long history of that in, in black music and rap music does that really well. People, you know, oftentimes get really bent out of shape over gangster rap songs but like, to me, that's the greatest, you know, I'd spend so much time listening to old Cash Money Records music yeah. and stuff. Cash Money Records. That stuff's so good. For the nine, nine, My friend Bill talks about this from Clipping, talks about this all the time. But there is a, there's a revolutionary potential, particularly at that time in the late 90s, of a, of a black man owning a Rolex. That's not who that was for. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So people get upset about all the, the floss and party stuff in those songs. But actually, like that's, that, those are seeds of revolution. And the fact that they were doing that while wearing dicky suits and driving trucks, like <laughs> right. the same things that everybody else was wearing. Mm. These are luxury items, but they're luxury items that we are... are are using for ourselves. We're taking this over. Like, and in fact, your sales of that are gonna go up because of me. So you have to fucking deal with that. Mm. You know, like <laughs> that that's that's real shit. Um so I think rap music does that this thing very well of sort of uh opening the door to stuff that is that is fucked up. But we're not I I didn't grow up sad. I grew up poor. I did not grow up sad. I was mm, very, very happy. You know what I'm So, you know, the idea of having a party while there's gunshots outside or of using the actual gunshots for the 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 basis of your party, like that's a real thing. Lud and Gun Sounds, that Waka Flocka song is a fucking brilliant song. <laughs> Shout be, out to Waka. You know? <laughs> I feel like we would be run out of town on a rail if we did not <laughs> ask at least one question about Hamilton. You get one question. <laughs> one question. So in Act One, you played the Marquis de Lafayette. And in Act 2, you play Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. um, who, who kind of winds up being one of Hamilton's fiercest rivals. Mm-hmm. I'm in the cabinet. I am complicit in watching and grabbing and power and kissing. If Washington isn't going to listen to discipline, dissidents, this is the difference. This kid is out. Oh! After I watched the show, I was like, wow, he 
had maybe some of the most technically difficult things of the show. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you listen to your, your music, you know you're a fast rapper. Yeah. <laughs> and like very well articulated rapper. Yeah, yeah. How do you prepare for something like this and like doing it for this many nights in a week? Well, it's actually so much easier than a rap show. Really? Uh, oh man. Well, cuz like the you know, you have a nice love, the sound people are really good. <laughs> Everyone like the sound is incredible. There's no smoke in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like being on tour with doing dancers. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying like if you can and those dancers are, you know, they are dancing and singing. I'm mm. really just strutting and, and I'm just strutting and you rapping. You are a great strutter though. I right. you know, I it stole it from my granddad, time. but I you know, <laughs> I strut and rap, they dance and sing. And that's that's a lot harder, but really for me like when we started doing this, I had just come off of, you know, almost three months straight of of just doing rap shows mm. um, all over the world, almost every day, you know. So this, eight shows of this a week is actually vocally so much easier. Really? So you're not screaming. Rap shows in a, look, in a club like rapping... in France, like, <laughs> that is full of, of weed smoke and <laughs> cigarette smoke. And like the sound man has already left to go get a drink, yeah. oh, and man. like you know what I'm saying, and I you're left you. with a microphone that's barely on, and mm-hmm. you just scream, you just scream. That's what yeah. doing a lot of rap shows is, especially when you're doing stuff as technical as what we do with clipping. Getting the words audible is the most important thing. So vocally, it's easier. Um, and they gave me the technical stuff because Lynn was writing it after I was already doing it. And mm. he was like, oh, great. He can rap really fast. I can mm. write really fast for him. You know? So you had already agreed to do this. Sh- like, you didn't have to, like, audition for the part? I didn't. I would never be in this show if I had to audition. There's no <laughs> way. If I had to sing for Alex Lagamore. I've never done a musical before. Like, singing in front of people is still terrifying for mm. me. Like, I do that shit every day now, and I'm still scared. <laughs> what? And to do a dance rehearsal. If I had to, if I had to do a dance audition... <laughs> <laughs> in front of Andy Blankenbuehler what no way I've seen his dance auditions that shit is crazy it's mm. like so you think you can dance times 10 like <laughs> motherfuckers be in there killing it and he just cutting them off the list just <laughs> cutting them off there'd be no way there'd be absolutely no way fortunately I was already attached to the damn thing so he nice. had to choreograph around me <laughs> Literally, oh what did I miss happen? Like, he was like, I know we're wheeling you in on this staircase. And I was like, great. And he's like, choreograph. He's like, spent a lot of time with the ensemble, like, doing these moves. And he, like, he, like, shows me, like, what they're doing and sees my eyes just bug out. And he was like, guys, stop dancing. Uh, let's, let's run the song once. David, you just do something. Just do whatever. Start on the stairs. I want you to end up over here. Just show me how you get there. And I did that, and he was like, "Boom, dancers, here's what you're doing." <laughs> and he like took the the shit that I was capable of and made them do it better, so it looks like I'm doing the same thing. Mm. But that is not what is happening. It is all cover. Uh, it looks beautiful. beautiful. It does. Yeah, he's he's really really good, and he and he made it. He made me do things that are effortless for me. You know what I'm saying? It was shit that I was able to come up with and made it look so impressive because everybody else is dancing their fucking asses off, but like I'm really just walking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you walk very walking well. with a little swag. <laughs> Mr. Jefferson, welcome home, sir. This is our rapid fire question segment that we like to call pew pew pew. These are finger guns and this is a <laughs> finger gun sound. Um but um but um but um so heaven did mm-hmm. some deep researching into mm. your Instagram. Mm. For my Instagram stalking, I've learned. <laughs> you went to Carnival. And yeah. I think this you've been there multiple times. This is my second carnival. I've been to Trinidad mm. a few times, but yeah, this is my so second. So I was there this year too hey and i feel like loki we're at the same party oh shit were you at brian lara's yeah of course house party lara fett every year every time so I go, brian lara is a famous cricket player yeah. which i did not know about yeah. i was like oh we're going to a cricket a player's <laughs> house i had dope what? people with me so they knew uh, they the knew if, yeah if you had someone take taking me. you there then uh-huh. that's but like yeah. what was your experience like i feel like i had a like a real like I feel so connected to the diaspora kind of moment when I was there. Man, carnival, the thing about about carnival in Trinidad is like it's 
everybody is beautiful and mm. like you're doing the things that beautiful people should do. You yes, know what I'm saying? It that is, is totally an accurate like, ass description. It's like government sanctioned turnip. Yes. And it's like so <laughs> necessary. Government and like, sanctioned turnip. And it is. It's like a national television station. This is what <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. playing. And it's the whole, you know, and the whole country does it. So mm. like, it's so, it's so great. Actually, this was the only thing I fought for in my Broadway contract. It was mm. like, I, because I had missed last carnival for, we were opening it was opening week at the public so they wouldn't Word. let me leave Makes but sense. <laughs> so as soon as i got my contract i was like mm. look i'm these are the days i'm taking off Word. Like, and i will not sign if you do not give me these days because i'm not missing another carnival <laughs> because i need it in my life mm. um and i you know my girlfriend is from there so it's uh I, i'm in love with that country she's uh, trini yeah mm. and uh, her family's still there so we get to go and stay with her mom and Word. all that stuff so carnival is the like sort of necessary recharge the other awesome thing about it is if you you've done it once you don't ever care about missing another party you know what I'm saying like I'm back here in New York and my friend's like you gotta come out and I'm like I don't really like it ain't <laughs> that's carnival. so real you know what I'm like, carnival parties are so fucking true so I need right. to start my kickstarter now yes yeah, yeah, yeah. it was so much fun I must I must ask you about your hair <laughs> and I also got a special request to ask you about your eyebrows I don't know what I'm Whoa. supposed to ask about your eyebrows I don't but about how weird they are they're no they're they're, they're so good jacked. do you like shape them at all uh, nah. eyebrows on fleek hair is popping so Absolutely. <laughs> what are you doing I don't know you know the the white mama helps uh, I imagine <laughs> with the hair like uh, but I don't I don't know I right now I know my girlfriend is using some shampoo and conditioner that has coconut oil involved in it so i know i use whatever she bought like that's whatever's there mm -hmm. so and i wash my hair very rarely so maybe that's the secret like yeah know, not doing it too often i feel like very textured hair does better yeah, when you yeah. don't like when you're not constantly shampooing and like stripping out all the natural oils right. i can talk about hair forever but yeah. i don't want to bore so anybody yeah. but in the you're eyebrows welcome. that's so funny because like mine are so weird they have this one part that doesn't go with the rest of them you know it, it gives you so much up. character okay that's cool. Like, I've always been self-conscious of them, actually, like, my whole life. Well. But not self-conscious enough to do anything about it. <laughs> uh -huh. Just, yeah. So a lot of famous people have stopped by the, the Hamilton set. Yes. <laughs> um, Us included. Yes. And also... Yes. <laughs> Uh, Steven Spielberg said, you brought so much West Coast Compton flavor to the piece. <laughs> he did say that. He was only like a few hundred miles south, so it's good. It's all good. <laughs> I was like, oh, Steven Spielberg knows about West Coast Compton flavor. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, notably, Beyonce and Jay-Z came. Yeah. What did Beyonce say to you? What did she say to me? They were just super complimentary, and they were um, they were so great and gracious. Honestly, like that was the quietest it has been. So after the show, like everybody who's coming backstage kicks it on stage. We mm. don't really have a green room there, uh, so everyone's just hanging out on stage. And I think because of them, they hadn't let like the the friends and family in yet because they're they're that's royalty for us, <laughs> right? I mean, that's nice. like the closest we have to an American actual royalty. king and queen. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and it really was for real, like a receiving line. Like we were all just, <laughs> like, oh my just god, I know. Um, like. But then they were super sweet and just loved the show. I don't remember exactly what B said to me. I was probably just too busy. I know, but like I was in such a moment. I was sort of shocked. And Jay, let's not forget, like oh yeah, he was there too. Heroes too. Sure. I know. Right. Sure. Beyonce's husband. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Beyonce's <laughs> husband is there, who I'm also a big fan of. Mm. Uh, that was a, a big moment for all of us, I think, because so much of their DNA is in the show. Obviously, mm. like Lynn mm -hmm. listens to them a lot, and so that's that's all in the show. But it's in all of us culturally. Like, absolutely, they're in all of us right now. And so having them there was kind of this weird moment, and then having them be complimenting you on the thing that you're doing is kind of like I don't know. I melted a little bit, and I just <laughs> I was say, I would say just that. turn into a puddle and seep into the floorboards, yeah. and yeah. that would have been it. Damn, damn, feeling like a cold game. I remember when we used to spit that propane. But now they want this cold swag in them skinny jeans. So they pocket these bars and give them niggas brain freeze. Is that cold enough? Mr. David Diggs, I cannot believe that you are here and that you gave us two minutes of your precious, precious time. I know. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Thank you so much for coming through. Um, where can folks find you? Social media, um, music. How can people follow and stalk and support you? DavidDiggs.com is the website. Right now, all that's there is this album, Small Things to Be Giant. You can get that. Awesome. Uh, my Twitter's David Diggs. My Instagram's David Diggs. My Facebook's David Diggs. Okay. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, pretty much that's.
podcasts, those are the places you can find me or, uh, you know, outside of the Hamilton stage where mm-hmm. I'm there every night. Awesome. Matter of fact, break out them brass knuckles and see me, son. Never understand why I suck with a glass y'all want to talk so much. So you really think you're talking shit to us, why to go as hard as us? Count our success on the heads of these outdated haters like an abacus. Yeah, we're feeling brave, huh? Don't try it. Don't these peasants can't respect the king. So defiant. So defiant with their head flow. Recognize you talking small things to a giant Small things to a giant Recognize you talking small things to a giant To a giant To a giant Heaven, it's that time again. What time is it? Time about a round hey. Who or what is your round for this week? I got the Hamilton book. Ooh. Hamilton colon the revolution. Mm, was it hard to find? No, it was everywhere, <laughs> which I'm I'm really happy about. Mm-hmm. But it's like basically like the making of book. Like I'm a I'm a process person. Right. I love, love hearing about other people's processes. So it's got like a bunch of like behind the scenes photos and like annotations and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so incredible to see what could have happened. Because mm-hmm. he's like he'll he'll in the annotations, he'll be like, I added this whole second part of the song like at a later time. Mm-hmm. And then now you're like, wait what would the song have been without right, this right. part? I just, I really like seeing all the tiny decisions that make one big, beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So they talk to like the, the choreographer, they talk to the director, like oh it, you really get to like see what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like so infectious. Aww. It's so energizing to see like this thrive, but also like to see how much care was put into it. Uh-huh. One of the, the reasons I really like the book is because it feels a little bit like when comedians laugh at their own jokes, like they're genuinely tickled by mm-hmm. something they said. Aww. It's so nice to see him be like, yeah, I killed that shit. <laughs> Ooh, look at that pun right there. Look at that assonance. Aww. You know, it's just like exciting beautiful. to see how excited he was about like very, very specific things. Yeah. Plus, we should be encouraged to praise ourselves and the amazing shit that we make yeah. a lot more often. Like, Absolutely. oh, so conceited. No, I made something amazing this and I'm recognizing that. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels like uh, enjoying someone, watching someone be tickled. <laughs> good inspiring read also the photos are amazing i can't wait till i get my autograph copy so i can do the same thing wow <laughs> just just putting it out there i haven't even finished i'm only in act one and i'm loving it oh that is such a good endorsement and review thank you yeah i'm not being paid for this <laughs> tracy who are you buying around for i am buying around for a um, musician I guess he's a musician, producer. Mm-hmm. He's a music guy by the name of B. Ford. You can find him on the internet, on SoundCloud, B. Ford. Okay. He makes amazing bounce remixes, New Orleans Ooh. bounce remixes of songs. Actually, the very, very, very first BuzzFeed post I ever wrote when I first got oh here my God, I remember this. was a list of bounce remixes you need. And I mean, like, bounce artists will remix anything <laughs> yes and instantly make it so much better there yeah. are bounce remixes of adele you could have had it we could have had it all there's Ooh. a good one of that there's um anita baker adele. Yeah. <laughs> listen if you've ever been like man i wish i could twerk to anita while, baker while crying while crying <laughs> If you Google B Ford, that's just the letter B dot Ford, like the car. Um, you should at least find his SoundCloud. He also has a bunch of stuff on YouTube. His YouTube name is B Ford 504, which is the area code for New Orleans because he's local. Okay. <laughs> um, and one of my absolute favorite covers or remixes is the Reading Rainbow theme. What? It is so good. It is so, I mean, so first of all, the original song is bomb. Right. Butterfly in the sky. Hey, it's lit. It's lit. And he just like made it litter, right? <laughs> so I would love to play. It sounds like kitty litter. <laughs> he made it he litter. He just made some litter. <laughs> um, I'm sure that he doesn't litter. I'm sure he's a good upstanding citizen. But um, I would like to play a portion of this for you. And if you find yourself twerking to the Reading Rainbow theme song, just go with it. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Don't shame yourself. There's no shame I'm in excited. it. excited. Let's hear a little bit. I'm ready to go to the club and also read. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the club with a book, but having a yes, gotcha story. Yes. Um, but really, if you're feeling down, if you're tired of listening to the same stuff, just go and listen to literally any New Orleans Bounce remix of any song. Ooh, and we'll throw the link in the newsletter. Yes. Baby's first, first terrible post. It wasn't great. Baby's first bounce remix. Baby's first bounce remixes. So shout out to B4 for blessing us with all these amazing remixes. Shout out to New Orleans for existing. Shout out to Stacey Marie Ishmael. Stacey taught me. Hashtag Stacey taught me. Um, I have learned so much from her. Today was no exception. Continuously. Like, I will just pass her in the hallway at work, and I'm like, you know what? You're right. I just absorbed so much I knowledge. Get it. I get it now. <laughs> yes. It all makes sense. Also, shout out to David Diff. Thank you to David. Um, uh, it was an amazing conversation. Thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule. Yeah. As always, shout out to the Pod Squad. Pod Squad. Yeah. Bow, bow. There you go. Yeah, I'm getting a little musical with it. <laughs> Changing directions. <laughs> it wasn't good. It was great. Don't you talk about yourself like that. Don't you do it. Thank you, Not Tracy, on my watch. Don't encourage this. No, no, no. I will always encourage. This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan with editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss Berman with production help from Antonia Sarahito, who is what? our new. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Oh my she God. is our new producer in the pod. What? Brum, brum, brum. Brum, brum, brum. Welcome, Antonia. Say hi to Antonia, everyone. And of course, Julia Furlan and Meg Kramer. Thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios, who served us some of the best water I've ever had in my life today. Oh my God, chill. Uh, <laughs> Thank you to our in-house musicians, Miss Jean Gray. You can follow her on Twitter at Jean Greasy. And Mr. Don Will of the Almighty Tanya Morgan. You can follow him on Twitter at D-O-N-W-I-L-L. Thank you to heaven. Yo, Tracy. Listen. You be getting me through the days. You don't even got, you don't even got to say. You <laughs> I love know. you. I, I love know. you. I love you too, girl. Follow heaven on Twitter at Heaven Rants. That's heaven like the place in the sky that your granny was probably really into. Yeah, I think my whole family was. <laughs> They're pretty into it. And rants, like the thing the white men do when they get called on. Yeah. Bloop. You can follow me on Twitter at Broken Poverty on Hannah Money. We're working on it. Oh my gosh. She's going to be Richie Von Moneyheimer That's soon. That's the goal. That's the goals. Newsletter. It's bomb. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? If you're not getting a newsletter, get get it together. There's mm. nothing good in your inbox. This will bring at least one thing. Oh my gosh. Go to BuzzFeed.com slash another round slash newsletter and upgrade your internet experience. Also check out BuzzFeed's other podcasts like Internet Explorer and mm-hmm. The Tell Show. And we just launched a very new politics podcast. It's got the best name. The name of the politics podcast is No One Knows Anything, which is um, so appropriate. Accurate. Because accurate. Yeah. nobody in politics knows. It's a knows fun election season. <laughs> anything. So check them out. Hit us on the buzz. Twitter, Facebook, email. Another round. I'm bad at this part. Twitter, Facebook. You can find us at another round. Email us, another round at BuzzFeed.com. Rate us on iTunes. Nominate us for a Pulitzer for a Nobel Peace Prize and all the other awards. Yeah, nominate us for stuff. Because uh, we're great. Yeah. Drink some water. Take your meds. Call your mom. Um, I'm looking for a therapist. Nice. Pray for me, please. I have not begun that journey again oh yet. Oh, my gosh. But I'm, I need to. I'm simultaneously looking for a therapist and an apartment in New York City. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. Everyone what am pray I doing for Tracy. Myself? Please, 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 please. Um, and if you are thinking of starting therapy, this is your push. This is the sign you were waiting for. Yeah. Listen to episode 34 where we walk through the process to the Word. best of our ability with All right. our friend and colleague, Ariana Rebellini. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Back on the scene. Crispy and clean. Yo! How do you know that song? How do you know that song? Because <laughs> everyone knows it. <laughs> it was Literally in a fucking like Kia commercial. <laughs> With a fucking hamster. Speaking of. Speaking of hamsters.